Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm David Colfard and welcome to Formula for Success in association with F1 Manager 2023. And with me is a man who I've shared a paddock with, I've shared a bed with, and now we share a podcast. Mr. Ah, Eddie Jordan. There you go, the Irish pirate is back. (laughs) I've lived to tell the tale. Hello, listeners. Yes, it's Eddie Jordan here. Um, Great to be back with DC. We've we've had a few skirmishes in the past, um, but we've managed to to make ourselves uh, happy with each other again, and we're even speaking across the table. Would you have imagined, you know, I was a young guy trying to make my way in motor racing, and you were a young man trying to take money off racing drivers as a manager, who would have thought we'd end up doing a podcast together? Well, for the listener's benefit, it's not quite like that because you're the boss and I'm I'm the worker here. So I'm doing the job. I'm being paid for doing the job. Uh, you are going to pay yeah, me, yeah. aren't you, David? Well, uh, are I, you paying I, me? I, I don't know who had that conversation with you. <laughs> I thought you were doing this for the love. Oh, David, you very seldom come off the fence, do you? You never, you never hurt anyone. You well, never actually make a commitment. You never, you never say what you think is going to happen. You're just too clever. <laughs> I'm not a, in the prediction game. It's like I don't know who's going to win the next Grand Prix. So, you know, I'd rather. Idiots like it. me As talk it, about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You do all the predictions. <laughs> all right. Well, this week we're going to be talking about relationships and uh, working yeah. relationships for the most part rather than romantic ones. Uh, but you do have a bit of a track record when it comes to swapping your spoons for Cupid's arrow. Well, Tell us about it. Irish people, we've often talked about this. We've talked about the spoons. We've talked about uh, luck money. We've talked about um, paying a little bit up front before you doing. And, and this is no different. This is matchmaking. And matchmaking is, uh, is considered to be an art. People will always try and put people together. And that's something that's sort of growing out now because uh, you go on the website now, you go into Raya or you go into Tinder, or you go into this, that, and the other. Should I be worried that you know the names of all these? Oh, because I like, hear my kids talking about them. <laughs> yeah, sure, blame it on the kids. <laughs> Sorry, grandkids. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so matchmaking was a very serious part of uh, our life. And um, there's a couple of really nice uh, Occasions, and I'd be very happy to tell you if you well, want to hear. Who, who have you done matchmaking well, for? Um, I think, should we start here because we're yeah. in Monaco? Um, and nothing to do with Martin Brundle wasn't able to interview Cara Delevingne. But uh, actually, Cara and her sister Poppy, uh, I had on the grid some years ago. And as I was on the grid with them, because they were friends with my daughter, Zoe, I, I saw Jerry Halliwell and I took her hand and I said, come on, Jerry, are you coming on the grid? And she, she was on going on the grid anyway. And I introduced her to none other than Christian Horner. And 
um, so I'm credited with that matchmaking. That worked out well. They, they're now uh, well, married, Mr. and Mrs. Horner. Yeah. I, I, we're at the wedding. My God, I got the absolute invite. So that, that, that you was, were at the wedding? I did. I was at the wedding. I don't remember seeing I, you there. I, I remember I was there with Nikki. We kind of had to go and do something later, Nikki Lauder. Oh, yeah, I remember Nikki being there. But for some so reason, maybe you I'm just... Maybe I'm insignificant. You probably didn't pay I, much attention. No, because I, you probably get more out of Nikki than you could out of me. Is that the reason? I, I think you must have actually just kept a low profile out of respect for I the fact it's a wedding. Because normally you you make everybody know you're in the room. I know that Nikki and I were at the very, very back. And um, so I, you must have been all... Because you were still probably just finished as a driver. You were looking for big contracts to make sure that you do these promotions. I was an usher. I, I was an usher at the wedding. Really? Yeah. Well, that's uh, why I'm, you didn't I'm, see me. Is that why I, you were sitting I, at the back? I, I, I sat I, you there. I, Right. Well, we're talking about relationships on this particular episode. And one of the things I'm curious to know, because uh, I, I know from my own side, I haven't really maintained a lot of relationships uh, from my sort of school days. I've got a couple of buddies uh, from, from school that I'm still in contact with. But actually, the passing of time, I've, I've lost contact with so many of the people I grew up with. Have you got any contact still with buddies from back in your school days in Ireland? Or again, have you moved on? That's where we slightly differ. Most of my friends would be long-term friends. And probably my, if you like, my inner closer circle would be a guy called McTunney, for example, that we grew up in Dublin together. Our mothers knew each other. They were golfers. And then it emerged that we were good. And then he saved my backside. He got me out of a massive scrape uh, when he was working for a bank. So the first time we got a, a winding up partition, he came to my side. So McTunney would be one of the great people. And then, you know, my sailing partner was um, a young guy, Marty McCarthy. And we're going back now sort of 60 years so he's not uh, so young anyway. No, no, he's not. <laughs> so that's how, if you like, I have kept that relationship between them at all times. And um, I'm married a long time. I think we were brought up in an era where try and preserve the friendships, try and f preserve the relationships. And it was indicative. Of, uh, I had a very, very low level of staff turnover at Jordan. People came there and they kind of see, saw it a bit like the Japanese model. You know, it's a, it's a position for life. Let's make the most of this. Let's enjoy it. Let's embrace the attitude and the moment of it. And um, so if you like the Gary Andersons and uh, Ian Phillipses, Lindsay, my PA, was there for 15 years. My God. You know, even captains How on my boat. How did she put up with you? Well, uh, she was so tough. She used to tell me to go and F off. Oh, really? She was Wild. She was wild. Uh, but then Louise Goodman was the same. I mean, she used to say some awful things to me that no one would ever talk to the owner or the boss of a company. But then I used to annoy them so much that I would, uh, I'd try and antagonize them so much to see the fight come out. And honestly, Louise was so easy to wind up. I used to wind her up so badly. And then she would go and tell me to F off. So there was a very much a, an open relationship in terms of how the staff worked at George how I want to live my life. My best friends are old friends. Uh, I have difficulty, which is probably different to you. I have difficulty with new people okay. uh, because I'm not sure where they're coming from, what's happening. Um, but, you know, I do have some new people who have been unbelievably good friends uh, recently, in fact. Um, so that that's a change. Yeah. How were you uh, as a a team boss when it came to actually letting people go did you handle that conversation sit people down and say look I'm sorry this isn't working out I'm going to have to let you go or did you hand that over to HR 
I was HR because uh, I had to justify my living. Um, <laughs> so I had a policy. You could never work for Jordan until you'd have been interviewed by me, irrespective if you got the job. So you had to come and sit in front of me and I'd ask you the questions and how are you, where are you from, what you've done, what's your education, la, la, la. So in other words, make them feel at ease. Make them feel part of the, the if you like, the family. Yeah. And so that was very important. But at the same time, if somebody was leaving, they had to come and see me. I needed to know why. You know, why are, now of course, if, if they're being sacked, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. But, so if someone's going to McLaren, I never discouraged that because very often that was a good sign that created other young engineers wanting to come to Jordan because they know that they would get the leg up afterwards. Um, if there was somebody being sacked, how I tried to approach that, I would always say, look, you need to pull your socks up. You're just not getting on. You seem to have lost uh, the will. You don't seem to be doing the thing and you haven't done that. And maybe you should do that better. And why don't you look at that? I would always encourage them to give them a little bit of time to see, could they rectify why they weren't doing the job? And then if they couldn't do it, of course, they'd have to go. But invariably, people would make that change around and turn around and say, actually, he's right. Maybe I need to look at a different approach. Maybe So I had a very, very low level of staff turnover. Okay. How many people did you employ, actually, at Jordan? At the highest time, just, just short of 300. Yeah. So relatively small in modern Grand Prix terms. But I think Haas has probably only got about that amount of people because they yeah, basically outsource. but I'm sure they've got people in America, do they not? I don't know what I think is. they outsource most of their their um, production and they have an affiliation with Ferrari, don't they? So they buy the gearbox and the engine and all the bits that they can, which is uh, something that I'm amazed that AlphaTauri hasn't done in, in, in the past. Well, they haven't done it since Seb was there um, when it was Toro Rosso. Quite why, you know, Red Bull would have two Formula One teams, one at Working the front. totally separate. Yeah, doing everything totally separate. So maybe that will change going forward. Um what do you think is the, the, the best relationship that you've developed during your time in motor racing or let's say Formula One? Who, who were you closest to of the, the other team principals or were you all at each other's throats? Um, well, that was always the impression that everyone thought that they, they were fighting with each other. I l absolutely adored uh, Luca de Montezemolo at Ferrari. I thought he was a very smart and together guy. Very uh, passionate man. And he made a lot of money. What's it called? Parma de Aqua or Aqua de Parma? Oh, is that his That's company? That's his. Uh, 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 the perfume company is yeah. fantastic. And, uh, you know, if I went to Capri in the boat, he would always make sure I'd get a top-class berth. I mean, he was a real proper guy. Uh, Frank, I could never really get in touch with. Um, I, I loved Ron when we were in Formula 3 and 3000 and we were coming up the cruise. Uh, we had a little bit of a skirmish in the middle of Formula 1. But in time, uh, I'd have to say I'm one of his biggest fans now. I absolutely love Ron Dennis for what he did, what he achieved, where he came from. Um, sometimes he hid that a little little bit but I think as time has emerged he, he started off life, life as a mechanic and he worked his way up God, the guy was a genius but overall in terms of mates and a bit of fun I'd have to say is Flavio because he's just such, such, such a crazy man I mean my God nothing was safe with Flavio he was great and we still see him he's very successful of course in his own business and this is what we're saying I think motor racing is a, is a great sort of kindergarten for people look at you with the businesses you've got and the people I've mentioned they've all done Ridiculously well in business. I'm always fascinated with people like yourself who I see as a as a sort of deal maker. You know, you had to get sponsorship. I, I, 
I've been around this industry for a long time, but I never feel that I'm able to do that transition from knowing somebody to then having the business conversation. Uh, basically, I don't like asking people for money. It uh, would be it comes easy. Yeah, well, it's very easy. Is, is that your banking you know background? Why? People do not like generally to say no. And if you go in with that preface, how much money you, and then you would say to them, um, you know, you try and build it up and this is what you're going to do for them. And, but you have to have the story right. But I think it comes naturally. So we were called, you called me a blagger. I thought I was a kind of a salesperson or a, a, a business person. But anyway, um, David, I just must remind you that I think this particular conversation started about relationships. And I think there's a couple of other matchmaking ones that I have to tell you. I've told you about Jerry Halliwell, but I have to tell you, in my time at Top Gear, uh, Matt LeBlanc, who's uh, the last one that I worked with, um, and there was a young Irish executive producer called Aurora and uh, I remember giving up my seat coming back from uh, an event that we did in in Joburg and I gave up my seat because I was coming back to Monaco and it was just as easy for me to come to Frankfurt back to Monaco as this thing from London. So I gave up my seat to London on condition that she could sit beside Matt. Uh, and I told the two of them on one condition that you cuddle up and huddle, hug each other on the way home. And um, they obviously must have because she soon after was resigned from BBC and went to live with Matt in LA. So that's a lovely little story. Uh, yeah, and they're still together? Absolutely. That's and, fantastic. Uh, so you uh, are uh, Cupid. Ah, and there's one other I say one. Cupid, not stupid. His name um, was Paul Casey. And uh, Paul Casey, as some people will remember, such an outstanding British golfer uh, living in the States now and um, won all a, a number of different uh, things for the Ryder Cup. That's how I know him, so special. And um, so uh, Paul and Pollyanna got together. Uh, I introduced them and uh, they are together. We've got lovely kids. And um, hopefully when I'm in Vegas, if I'm in Vegas, David, if you're going to invite me to Vegas, um, I'll probably go to see him because uh, he lives down the road. Formula for Success is brought to you in association with F1 Manager 2023, giving you unparalleled control of the chosen F1 team and a brand new mode that allows you to rewrite the season in your terms. So, David, the reverse question. You keep asking me about relationships and longevity and things like that. You seem to stop and start and change and move around the place. I mean, where's your loyalty in all of this? Well, I think I was quite a loyal uh, driver. I was with Williams for a few years. I wasn't and necessarily talking about your driving. Oh, you're talking about personal ne- relationships. <laughs> because when you're a driver, it's not altogether your choice. Yeah. Was, uh, Frank would say, oh, I want you for another year. Or Frank would say, um, by the way, uh, I don't need you anymore. And bye-bye. And um, that's why you wound up in the contract recognition board uh, with the McLaren. We've already, heard, we've already heard that story in the past. But no, I'm talking about your, your social manner because... You're a bit of a social butterfly. We see you with uh, all sorts of amazing and gorgeous people. Uh, We know about Dayton and your son, but I'm talking about um, lady friends. Lady friends. Well, um, I've I've had a few, but I probably would prefer to talk about um, the the lady friends of uh, my boyfriends, um, people that have become... Well, let me finish. So if I look at the journey of motor racing and the friendships that I've built over time, then if I think of Jules de Ferran and his wife, Angela, who used to work for you. Absolutely. There's a lady friend. If I think of Paul Stewart and his lovely wife, Victoria. Gorgeous. There's a lady Absolutely friend. Absolutely amazing girl. Mark, his brother, 
and uh, Anne, his his wife, uh, another lady friend. So I, I've been lucky to build friendships through motor racing that have endured. And, you know, to be able to share a passion for a sport with friends who've actually been in the business as well, it takes it to another level because there's no curiosity about where they've come from and, you know, the journey of business life they've been on because we've, we've been through it together. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really very proud of, of some of those friendships that have endured over time. Also, the point, um, a driver finished second in the world championships, won a whole heap of Grand Prix, the notoriety, you're a good-looking guy, um, you're always, uh, seem to be out I, and I'm about. I'm taken, by the way, if you're about to start hitting no, on No, you. I'm not trying to hit on you, absolutely. You'd be the last person I'd have in mind. But Why? Never What's done. the matter with uh, me? Because that square jaw, I just don't know what it would inflict on me. It would probably damage me. <laughs> the very but, fact you would consider it is a bit scary. No, I'm, in your case, I'm not considering it. But anyway, you know, you mentioned about school buddies. You don't have school buddies or you, you felt that you, you needed to be cocooned way or you you were a bit aloof in terms of that you most drivers and most sports people have to be really careful as to where they're going to let the next group of friends yeah in. no but I, I do have some school buddies like sean wadsworth for instance who i went to school with sean was the founder of w series sadly yeah. that didn't sustain but you know sean's a buddy from from he grew up three miles away from me i've got another friend uh brian Tervis, who was my best buddy when i was uh, in primary school his mother was was uh was our teacher actually uh, Mrs. Service. So yeah, I've got I've got a couple of school friends. Um, I, I, an old buddy that I'm I'm not so much in contact with now is a guy called Cawthorn, David Cawthorn. You know, we were sort of partners in crime all the way through my my teenage years, oh, all I'd the like way through to, on the wall yeah, for that one. to all the way through the journey to Formula One. So um, yeah, so those relationships have sustained. Just one final thing on on sort of relationships. Do do you find that when you became a public figure? and famous, let's say, or uh, infamous, uh, did you find that, that that made things easier in terms of, you know, people returning your calls, raising sponsorship, or it didn't really change? You know, because there was a period in your time where nobody knew who you were. And, of course, now, you know, people know very well who Eddie Jordan is. Of course, there are benefits. Trying to get into a restaurant, most restaurateurs, if they know the front of house guys, so it makes it easier, that's for sure. Uh, I, I, I'd only be lying if I said it was different. However, I'm not sure there's any other real great benefit. I, I think if you might say to somebody, say, oh, I quite like that shirt, I, I quite like those jackets, or I quite like that, um, I think I, they, they'd look very well on, on, on our show. Uh, and then two weeks later, you'd have a, a box full of goodies put through the door. That sort of thing still happens. But then I'm not shy about asking. So. Yeah, you're not. I can confirm to our listeners, you are not shy. I think you, that's the thing. That's why I think you're a blagger. You get more freebies than anything. I don't like asking for things. It's all to do with the need. I mean, I needed it in my life at the time. And it's something that I've liked and I enjoy it. And I like saying to you, David, you're paying me pittance to do this. You, you're going to have me to go to, to Vegas and you're not going to pay me the proper money, but so I'm not going to go. And I, I, will say, I will say to you, which is different to the way I negotiate, I always say to somebody, instead of trying to say uh, it's 50 and then they say, well, I'll give you 30 and then you say we split the business and you're in 40, I say, it's simple. Get to 45 and when you get to 45, give me a ring. I'll take it, but don't ring me beforehand takes the pain out of it. Then the person knows exactly what your cutoff period is. I, I thought you were going to tell me, when you get to 45, then call me and the deal's 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be that <laughs> yeah. if I didn't like you. Uh, right. 
Should we take uh, take a question from sure. one of our listeners? Um, we've got Julia. Don't know her second name, so sorry, Julia. You, I guess, know who you are by this question. Uh, she would like to know our thoughts on what she calls Formula One hiding behind a paywall. She says, long gone are the days when you could watch Formula One live in the UK for free on television. Race tickets and merchandise have become more and more expensive. And, you know, she appreciates that we're talking elite at Formula One level and appreciate that has a cost, but it feels like true fans are being priced out these days. Now, it's an awkward one, isn't it? Life is expensive and entertainment has a cost. So I feel for anyone that that can't afford the, the ticket prices. Now, I've clearly not been sitting in the grandstands for a very long time in Formula One, so I don't actually know the, the cost of attending at, let's say, the most basic level. But what, what's your thoughts on this? We are still, when I say we, Channel 4, we're still free to air. Um, people pay for a TV licence, of course, but um, but we are, we're a highlight show. So, you know, other than the British Grand Prix, we're not live. Um, what's your thoughts on the, the route that Formula One has gone down? Is it not just keeping in line with what happens in football and you know, America? Uh, well, football is not quite like that. But anyway, a, a, a couple of things here. I remember Bernie in the old days. He'd always say, what can the average man afford to bring his wife and let's assume a scenario of two kids to a Grand Prix for three days? And he always had in his mind something around a hundred pounds. Now I know that's a lot of money by some people's standards, and certainly was a lot of money way back in 20, 30 years ago. However, what you get for those three days is simply unbelievable. But now the ticket price—you you know—you're you're the president of the BRDC, and you put on an unbelievable show at Silverstone. So of course the prices have to go. You you have to pay for for Calvin Harris. You have to pay for the stand. You have to pay for. It's a different thing. It's it's like rock show. It's like. I saw tickets being available for, for Roger Waters' new show in the Palladium, for example, and there were 200 and something pounds. And I was like, oh, that's very ex- bit pricey for a one and a half hour show. But then you're talking about world, world, world class uh, entertainment and world class star. Um, so you have to pay if it's Formula One and it's the only Grand Prix in Britain and you're a motor racing fan, then what Bernie used to say, people should be allowed to save up to be able to make it something really special. And that's what Silverstone is. It's special whether you stay in a motorhome, whether you travel by bus or whether you travel by car, whatever way you're motor. It's a fantastic, unbelievable. I cannot believe uh, that, um, well, we saw 400,000 people went there for the three days. It's remarkable. So, I, I, look, I'm sorry, Julia, it is wickedly expensive, but there's no other way out of it, I don't think. Okay, so uh, the the business model seems very well established, which makes me actually a question come to my mind of, you know, how do Liberty, who own Formula One now, how do they grow their their revenues other than the traditional you know, charging more to the you know your skies or whoever it is that's paying the broadcast contracts, or charging more to your your Saudi Arabias and places like that? they they don't get revenue from the fans at the track per se, do they? That that revenue goes to the Well, they the, do the in a way, and David, come on. Silverstone get the, the gate money, but Silverstone have to pay, what is it, 30 million or 40 million or whatever it is. If you're in Saudi Arabia, you pay extra for, for having the first race or the last race. You know, it, it's a game. I don't want to describe what goes on at Liberty, but, you know, still the same, you know, Sasha still there, Bernie, 
Bernie's people are still in that company. They understand very well how it works. And it's been very successful up to this. And uh, I think it was Stefano in particular, um, he, he's been around at Ferrari. He's been around at Lamborghini. But more especially, he spent a lot of time around with Bernie. So he knows what works and what doesn't work. I think if you look at the business model, it's been a phenomenal success. People would have said, you know, to pay whatever they pay, 2.4 billion, uh, John Malone and Liberty to, to buy that. It seemed like an outrage. Where are they ever going to see any return on investment? Um, and then now you look at the situation and the multiple is probably five times that. So the valuation is 10 million. 10 billion. Hmm? Yeah, I, I think you billion. said million. Yeah, you meant billion. Yeah. I mean billion. And um, so... It's a fantastic story as to see how the growth of a business, for somebody to have the foresight in that company to be able to say, I can grow something like that. Because somebody must have come up with a spreadsheet and say, look, David Coulthard, this is what it's worth now. If we pay 2.4 for it, I can have it in three years' time worth 10 billion. I mean, that's a fabulous story. That's and amazing. so well done to, to Liberty. But they've capitalized on lots of things that, for example, Bernie wasn't really into. Yeah, no, people still revere what Bernie did in terms of creating Formula One, but it does seem that the, the growth and the revenues and the worth of Formula One has just exploded. Well, we're going to Vegas. Um, that's liberty. Miami, it's liberty. Um, and let's not lose our mind here. Liberty is also part of, you know, Ticketmaster. Every ticket that you buy for everywhere else, a little piece of the action goes to Ticketmaster because they provide all the ticketing and the security involved in that. But they also Live Nation. If we're talking about Roger Waters, uh, all of these bands that you see, virtually everything on the road that is big live concerts. If you're talking about Coldplay and whatever, who runs it? Live Nation. Who owns Live Nation? Liberty. It's a fabulous concern. But you've got a buddy in, in Live Nation, haven't you? Because uh, he very, very kindly. Yeah. Um, and through, you looked after him. One of, yeah, one of your charity events. I, I bought tickets. For Coldplay. For Coldplay. And, and he organised that in Milan and it was fantastic. I got to hang out with the band. Well, you expecting that you'd buy something at my charity evenings and you wouldn't get the, the, the royal treatment. His name is Phil Bowdry, by the way. He is the head of European um, uh, work and, and we love to see him. Of course, he's a fanatical Formula One guy, as you know, he and his son. And um, I think he had, I think he called his son Lewis, would you believe? Mm -hmm. So um, that shouldn't be gone unnoticed. But um, look, leaving things like that, David, you paid really great money for that Coldplay concert. Um, uh, and I would like to tell the listeners here, he did not blag it. He paid for it um, <laughs> and it went to Amber. So we are very grateful for things like that. Uh, and when we get the chance and, and to Chris Martin and, and to Coldplay for giving us the tickets, well done to those guys because they understand that they want to get back to the people as well. Yeah, that was a fantastic concert. Well, EJ, I think... Um you know, we've been talking about being pals and everything, but I've got to be honest, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here in front of you for this amount of time. I'm getting sick of you. So let's not talk until next week's show. With the Oh, should I shut up immediately? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, oh, that would be too much that to, would be to too expect. Much. Right. <laughs> to our listeners, I hope you're not sick of hearing from us yet. Keep sending in your questions and have a great week. And we'll be back next Thursday. What are you doing until next Thursday? Uh Doing my absolute level best to avoid you. We're in the same town and same city. You have a few Grand Prix to do, but we have a few little things to do. We've got to talk about uh, Vegas, whether you want me there or not, because that could be a time-consuming little subject. What's the number 
that I need to get to before I call and you. And whatever the number is that will knock you onto the floor, that's the number I'm going to start <laughs> with. So bye-bye, listeners. Bye-bye. We'll see you very soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.